Well, good morning. If you would, take your Bible and turn to 2 Peter. While you're turning there, just remind you that we have a team of uh, young men and some of their dads, uh, our own David Holmes, one of our elders, is leading that mission trip in Costa Rica, and so they're still out and about, and so be sure and pray for them as well. So, you know, when it comes to talking about sanctification, I have, over the years, honestly kind of resisted uh, when people talk about it because you and I know, and we realize this, when it comes to our salvation, you and I had how much of a percentage in the work of our salvation? One percent? Half a percent? None. So you and I had nothing to do with it. So oftentimes it's difficult when you kind of switch gears that after salvation, the thing that you and I, if you're a believer in Christ, that what we're in right now is our sanctification. And that is going to last until we get home to heaven. It is a continual process of becoming more like Christ. But when it comes to sanctification, it is a god enabled effort on our part. And so whenever you hear that, and I can just remember as a young believer hearing that, I kind of step back because you're talking about, I have something that I have to do. Well, we're not talking about salvation. We're talking about our sanctification. And yes, you and I do have a part to play in it. In fact, you don't have to look there, but I have a reference in your notes in Exodus 31. God is about to have the uh, tabernacle built. And so what God has done, he's telling Moses that he has come upon, his spirit has come upon certain men, that they have skills to be able to cut stone and to be blacksmiths and goldsmiths and to design things that uh, really are going to be very difficult to do without the Spirit of God helping them do it. But you realize at the same time that the Spirit of God is enabling them to do that, that those men had to pick up their hammers and go to work. Maybe a little closer to home. You and I believe that Jonathan is spirit-filled, right? Okay, there you go, right. So we do. And we believe he's led by the Spirit. But he has to get up here and play the piano. It doesn't play itself. He doesn't just get up there and sit there and let the Spirit move and then it plays itself. No, he has to apply himself to it. And so when it comes to sanctification, that is what you and I must do. In fact, if you do have it there, 2 Peter chapter 1, if you will, look at verse 1, all right? Not verse 1, verse 5. And here it tells us again for this very reason. And the very reason is the first four verses are talking about our salvation. And so for this very reason, verse 5 starts out, it says, Make every effort. Some of y'all's translations might actually say to make all diligence, with all diligence, that you are to supply to your faith, and then it says virtue and knowledge and self-control and onward. We'll back up. Make every effort that you are to supplement. 
It literally means to lavishly supply to your faith these next things. And we've talked about virtue. Virtue, what is that? Virtue is a God enabling of being morally fortified. It means to do things with excellence, to do things that are right in the sight of God and to do it with all of your might. We talked about you are to also grow in or add to your faith knowledge. We talked about that last time where it's growing in the knowledge of your salvation. There should never come a time in any of our lives where we're like, hey, I realize I'm saved and now I'm going to go on to other things. But it's a realization of even the things we sang this morning. Like we were, we've been set free from the bondage of sin and death. Like should you and I ever get over that? We should more and more like realize I am no longer a bond servant to that. I am no longer to be afraid of death. My salvation is guaranteed and on and on and on. You and I should grow not only in that, but in the knowledge of our sanctification that I have not arrived yet. God is still working on me. There is still much that needs to happen in my life. In fact, I need to grow in the knowledge of my sin and how deep it is. I need to grow in the knowledge of honestly understanding myself. Why do I act and do what I do? Why do I respond to certain things that other people, they don't seem to have trouble with? We need to grow in our repentance, our knowledge of it more and more. And this morning, I want to camp out for a bit on self-control. You and I... Because of our salvation, what you and I are to be part of what God is doing in our life is we're to be growing in our self-control. And all of us know this, right? That self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. It means that if the Spirit of God is living within you, He has given you one of these, all of these fruits, and one of them is to be able to control oneself. But you and I must continually grow in our self-control. In fact, if you will, I want to walk through Second uh, Peter for just a minute. Because Second Peter, Peter is talking about false teachers. And more than the false teaching that they're teaching, he is describing their character. And as you read through it, you realize these false teachers had no self-control at all. If you would, look at Chapter 2, starting in verse 1. False prophets rose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will subtly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways, and because of them the way of the truth will be maligned or smeared or slandered, one of your translations might say. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false arguments and twisted doctrine. Their sentence from time long ago will not idle. Their destruction and deepening misery is not asleep. Going down to verse 10. And especially those who indulge in the corrupt passions of sinful nature and despise authority presumptuous and reckless, self-willed and arrogant. They do not tremble when they revile angelic authorities. Look at verse 12. 
But there, but these like unreasonable animals, creatures of instinct, born to be captured and destroyed, reviling things they do not understand, will also perish in their own corruption, suffering wrong as wages of doing wrong. They counted a delight to revel in the daytime. In other words, they're not ashamed of their lack of self-control. They, they don't care who sees it or what anyone has to say about it. If you will, go on down to verse 22. The thing spoken in the true Proverbs has happened to them. The dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow is washed only to wallow in the mire. And so, vigorous, virtuous self-control, like every other of these characteristics we'll eventually talk about, are greatly needed in our lives. And here's the reason why, and you know this, right? God has given you and I a new heart in an old, sinful body. He gave you and I a new heart, but you and I still live in an old, sinful body, and self-control must be acted upon. In fact, if you will, look, there's a quote to the left there of your notes. It's by Jerry Bridges. It's from a book I would highly recommend, Respectable Sins, like there are any. But honestly, for a lot of us, we would categorize sin like maybe these are not as bad, but these are really bad. Well, in that book, he has something to say about self-control, and it says this. It is the governance or the prudent control of one's desires, cravings, impulses, emotions, and passions. It is saying no when we should say no. It is moderation in legitimate desires and activities. Like coming up the 4th of July. I mean, I'm just talking to myself. Moderation when it comes to the homemade ice cream. Meddling, right? Meddling now, right? But, you know, the extra hot dog or two or three that I will be, you know, wanting, honestly, to tell you. But the rest of it says this. An absolute restraint in areas that are clearly sinful. But I want to add something to it. Not that Jerry Bridges missed it, but I want to add something to it. Because a lot of times when you and I think of self-control, it's always things that we should not do. But self-control is also when we should say yes, that we need self-control against our lazy idleness of not engaging. And all of us know in every one of our lives, we know that there are areas that we should say and must say no to and have self-control. But there are areas in all of our lives that we need to have self-control to say, yes, I will step up to do that. In fact, that might be the one thing this morning that speaks to your heart more than anything, that yes, there are things I need to take self-control seriously to be able to say to myself, yes, it is time to step up to that thing. I want you, if you will, take your Bible and take a hard left. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. The Apostle Paul probably talks about discipline, self-control in the kind of the arena of athletics than anybody else. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, if you would, 
starting at verse 24. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control. Some of your translations might say restraint, moderation in all things. And you probably know this, but the Corinthians would know when he's talking about a race because that's where the races and the athletic events happen there in Corinth. And just like today in the Olympics or in other games, these people had to qualify before they could even get in the games. And to qualify, they had to show that they had trained so many hours and so many days, a long period of time. They had to show that they ate correctly and they did their exercise. It wasn't just that, hey, they're good enough to be in a game. They had to qualify. They had to show self-control, restraint. He goes on to say, they do it to receive a perishable wreath. It was just a perishable wreath. It would, it would fade. The moment they picked that plant, started weaving it together to put it on that athlete's head, it began to weather, weather then. It was for a perishable, he is saying. He says, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and I keep it under control. Literally, Paul says this, I buffet my body. No. I buffet my body and make it my slave. You realize you either make your body your servant or your body will make you its slave. You and I, either this old body that has a new heart in it, will either take the Spirit's fruit of self-control and be vigorous about growing it in our lives so that we can do this very thing. And at sometimes we have to buffet our body, make it our slave, as Paul was saying. Now, you have to realize when it comes to, and I realize this probably more than anyone, when you come to talk about discipline or self-control, like you could slip into legalism really quickly. Make it legalistic, like, hey, if I'm doing it, you need to be doing it, you know. Uh, This really kind of like adds to your salvation. That's called legalism. Well, it doesn't. But I just want to help us, and it helps me when you think of the word discipline or self-control. But, you know, discipline and disciple come from the same root word. To be a disciple is to be a submissive student of Jesus Christ. To have discipline in your life means that you're a submissive student of Jesus Christ. For his honor, for the good of other people, and honestly, for your joy, Because you realize with self-control comes freedom. When there is no self-control, there's bondage. So self-control is of the essence. If you would, flip over to Romans, if you would, chapter 6. Once again, Paul, he's going to talk about discipline once again. 
In Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 19. I am speaking in human terms because your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you were now ashamed? You know what the fruit was? It was bondage and enslavement. That's what the fruit was. For the end of those things is death. Verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and at its end, eternal life. Once again, look on the left of your notes there's a quote, again, from Disciplines of a Godly Man by Pastor Kent Hughes. It says, The rich origin of the word discipline suggests a continuous divestment of all encumbrances and then a determined investment of all one's energies. Being in Christ is a relationship, and like all relationship, it deserves discipline maintenance but never to become something that is legalistic. So once again, Romans 6, verse 19, I just want to show you this one word as we move forward. It says, For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. And so today, I'd like to talk about two things, next time two more, and about when it talks about members or certain things about us. Today, I want to talk about our mind and our mouth. Next time, I want to talk about when it comes to self-control of our body and our emotions. So today, I want to start off with our mind. If you would, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. While you're turning there, Many of you probably know this saying. It's from Proverbs 23, 7. In the King James, it says it like this. As a man thinketh in his heart, what? So is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So as you think, that's what you are. Or maybe another way of saying it, you and I, I am, I'll just talk about me personally, I am moving in the direction of my strongest thoughts. Whether good or bad, evil or pure and holy, I'm moving in that direction in my life. So I must be very, very careful with what goes in my mind, what comes out of my mind, and why should we? Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of your minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. In other words, you and I, when you became a believer, our 
minds were darkened. They were alienated to the things of God. And so you become a believer all of a sudden. Now you must start replacing old thought patterns, ways of thinking, false ideas, ways of the world, what your flesh loves to do, and it has to have a change of mind. And so if you will quickly go over to 1 Peter chapter 1. This is a, obviously an exercise in flipping through your Bible. And so good on you. It never hurt anyone to be able to do that. So 1 Peter, if you would, chapter 1, verse 13. Just a few things about the mind. 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, literally shod up the loins of your mind. In other words, you and I, as believers, are to reel in everything that is ungodly, unbiblical, unhealthy, encumbering thoughts. They must be pulled in. To shot up means that a soldier would take his whatever he had on, a kilt if you want to call it, and he would pull it up and tuck it into his belt so it wouldn't become an encumbrance to him as he ran out to wars. Or if he worked in his field, he had to shot up all those loose things. So the thing is, you and I have thoughts, we have thought patterns, we have ways of thinking. They're contrary to the things of God. And you and I must reel those in. We must take everything that raises itself against the knowledge of God. And we must pull it in. And we must take control of it. If you would, Romans chapter 12. Many of you could probably quote this verse. But Romans chapter 12. You know the first verse, right? Because of the mercies of God. All first 11 chapters of the incredible greatness of our salvation. And then all of a sudden in chapter 12 on is the practical taking those truths and practically putting them into practice in your life. And he starts out like this in verse 2. Do not be conformed to the world or squeezed into its mold. It's not a suggestion. It's an imperative. And one is conformed by what? Unrestrained exposure. Unrestrained exposure to lies, worldly ideas, evil. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Again, an imperative. Meaning that you and I have something to do with this particular part. We are to diligently supply truth to our minds willing to put them into action. And the rest of the verse says, by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. If you will, flip, take a right, go to Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Philippians 4, 8. Probably more than any other letter, Paul says, I have not arrived more in that letter than any other. He, more than anyone, realized sanctification was a process and he was still in the process. He knew that it had to do with your mind as well, sanctifying your mind. And here, he ends this one with this. 
Chapter 4, verse 8, many of you could quote this, but it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Some of y'all's translation, instead of the word think, it's the word meditate. It would probably be better to realize it's not just, hey, casually think about these things, but you are to take them to heart. You are to think about, am I thinking on these particular things? Which means you can just see by that list that there are things that shouldn't be thinking about. These are the things that we should be thinking about. And I just want to remind you of 1 Corinthians 10.5. Listen to it. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. So one of the areas of our minds is, uh, it might uh, speak to you. This particular little story speaks to me. And maybe you've seen like a picture or an emblem of an elephant and He's got a rope around one of its legs, and it's just tied to a stake in the ground. You've, you've seen that before? Elephant on a rope. So elephant, you know, when they're babies, they take and they put a rope around their leg, and they put a big sturdy stake in the ground, they tie it. And as a young elephant, they tug against that, and they realize they can't pull away from it. And as they grow and get older, they get more powerful. But in their mind, they tug against that rope and they real remember when they were little, they couldn't break it. But now that they're big, it's not because they're not strong enough, but still in their what? Mind, they're limited. So growing up, I walked around with a name tag on. It started in about third grade. And I walked around, and for those of you who can't see it, it says stupid. So children, we don't use that word. But I walked around with this on from about third grade to about, I'm just about to turn 62. So I have walked around with this name tag because I was told that and I believed it. And you realize something. A lie believed as the truth will affect you as if it were the truth. A lie believed as the truth, it might not be this one, but it might be something else. But a lie believed as the truth will affect your life as if it were the truth. And I walked around with this for a long time until somebody came along and told me differently. And I have to be real careful. I'm just being like really honest with you. Which is always good, right? If you're standing in the pulpit, you probably should be wrong. But I have to be really careful not to go and pick that up and put it on again. 
So the truth is, all of us probably have lies we have lived with and believed contrary to what Scripture tells us. And you must take every thought captive or, and you can, you can finish this, can't you? You either take every thought captive or every thought will take you captive. And the renewing of your mind takes self-control and discipline. And you would probably guess some of these. I just have three before we move forward. Disciplines of the mind, a consistent intake of God's Word. You've probably heard the hand illustration before. Listen to it, read it, study it, memorize it, meditate and apply it. And for many of you, it would go like, well, yeah, duh. But for me, I was 22 when I read my first book because I couldn't read. And I have to tell you, it has been a discipline that has become a delight in my life. And for years, I have disciplined This is not patting myself on the back, just being real with you. I have disciplined myself to learn to read, and every day I read. And it started out as a discipline, but it came a delight. It's such a delight, and maybe at the same time such a discipline, that if I miss it, something wonky is going on. And I just need to back up and start over again because it is a discipline that becomes a delight. It might have to be that for you. When it comes to renewing your mind, you must saturate your mind with Scripture. Here's the second one. You must carefully evaluate according to Philippians 4.8. I just want you to listen to it once again. Evaluate what you expose yourself to What you allow in your mind, is it true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellence, worthy of praise? And if not, you must ruthlessly eliminate it. We used to say, you know, there are certain programs you can't watch on TV. You can't watch the commercials today. So you must ruthlessly really get intentional about what you allow to come into your mind. And I'm not being legalistic, but you know yourself and you know You cannot expose yourself to certain things and your mind be right. And it might be that you begin eliminating things that allow things in. And here's the third one. It goes right along with it. You must intentionally cultivate healthy relationships that people who are close enough to you to be able to say to you honestly, what are you thinking? I mean, you need someone in your life that can really come up to you and go like, what are you thinking? 
Why are you thinking that? What is going on? You need that kind of a relationship with other people. If you do not, you need to find someone who will be ruthlessly honest with you. To go, what are you thinking? Why are you thinking that? Why are you exposing? What are you exposing yourself to? And ruthlessly work on it. Here's the second one, our mouth. If you would, turn to Ephesians. You're there in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at a couple verses that really speak to this. But you probably know this. The book of Proverbs over 60 times talks about the mouth. You know, James 3, 2 says this, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a mature man, able also to bridle his whole body. So kids, help me with this. True or false statement? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. True or false? False. You're right. It's false. But man, do they hurt. So um, I have a lot of scars. In fact, they're almost badges of honor. I was thinking through them this morning. This one I got with a hand grinder because I used to be a welder. And this one I cut on a piece of sheet metal. Uh, on the third time I cut my artery, it was on this side, and I was at the emergency room, and the doc was looking at my wrist. And I said, hey, whoa, it's all accidents, I promise. And this one I got at Camp Barnabas, and this one I branded myself on my forge at home. And anyway, you could go on and on. And here's the deal. They don't bother me anymore. In fact, they're kind of bragging rights, you know. Like in Jaws. I don't suggest you go watch Jaws if you're interested. But anyway, you know, like in Jaws. Oh, that's not a scar. I'll show you one. Thing is, sticks and that, yeah. But words what? Oh, my goodness. Helpful words. You can. I can, too. You can remember someone speaking life into you with words that were just wonderful. I still remember my dad telling me something. It had to do with this name tag. I, I still remember my dad telling me something opposite of this, and it put steel in my bones. It still affects me today, what he said to me. Helpful words. Hurtful words. So can you. Remember who said them, where you were, and how it affected you. In fact, words can go so deep that even though it was years ago, if you're not careful, you'll pick them right back up and you'll believe them. You must have self-control when it comes to your mouth. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 25. The reason I want to read all these verses is the context of this verse in the midst of all this. Because in Ephesians 4, if you know the book of Ephesians, the first part of Ephesians was all doctrinal. The second half of Ephesians is all practical, like how you take these truths and you practically work them in your sanctification. In verse 25, it says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. 
Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let a thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such it is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, clamor, slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So in the context of this, how we can sin against one another. In verse 29, that's where we camp out for a moment. Let no corrupt or rotten, worthless communication come out of your mouth. Only that which is good for building up as fits the occasion. So just a a little here. Clichés never help anybody. You know what I'm talking about, clichés? Like, oftentimes, if I'm not careful, I don't know exactly what to say in a situation. I'll just come up with a cliché that is heartless and meaningless. And it didn't help anybody. You know, like, oh, man, I know what you're going through. That doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help. So to fit the occasion means to take some time to think through how do I think, through, how do, would this help? Put some heart behind it. How would this help somebody? Silence would be better at oftentimes than a cliche. But what could I say that would build up, that would come alongside someone? It would like what my dad did one day, put steel in my bones to encourage me to move forward. But anything other than that, or to come up to someone and help them to realize an area in their life they need help with. All the rest would be just corrupt. It would be worthless. It wouldn't build them up. It wouldn't help them at all. And so I'll just leave you with these. Disciplines of the mouth. These are some I've been working on and will work on if you ask my wife until Jesus comes or I die. Or she kills me because I didn't have discipline with my mouth. Anyway, so I have the references there. You can jot something next to them. You know these passages. Let me read James 1.19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear. Stop. Every one of us. Needs to be quick to hear. Now, here's what I do. When someone's talking, I'm thinking about what I'm going to say to them when they get through rattling off what they're talking about. I'm not listening to them. I'm trying to come up with a solution for them. They, they say a few words, and they're telling me what's going on in their life, and I'm not listening to them anymore because I'm trying to come up with, you know, an answer for them. Be quick. To hear. Slow 
to speak. Unless your wife comes up and says, does this dress look good on me? And any hesitation could get you killed. Okay. But other than that, quick to hear, slow to speak, just slow it down. So I tried to go to seminary. They wouldn't let me in. But I talked to a professor what I should do because I was in a quandary. The Lord's led me into the ministry. They tell me I need to go to seminary. And so I had lunch with him. And it's the first time it's ever happened. And I asked him a question, and then I stopped, and he just stared at me. And I thought, did I say something stupid? Uh, was that not worthy of an answer? And I realized, Proverbs says, a wise man studies how to answer. And he came back and he gave me some of the greatest advice I've ever had in my life. And so I didn't go to seminary. I went home. I learned how to read and let the Lord work in my life. Two, Proverbs ten nineteen. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. You know the application of that, right? Don't talk so much. And you're thinking... Are you done? Just about. You know, I've realized as I've gotten older, not just in age, but hopefully in maturity, I talk less. Number three, like self-control, it's not always not doing something. Self-control is realizing when you should say yes or when you should step up and say something. Self-control with the mouth is knowing when not to speak, but knowing when and what to speak into someone's life. When it comes to encourage someone to come along somebody who is hurting, what do you say? Do you just be quiet for a while? Yeah. When you speak the gospel to somebody, that takes self-control to step up and go, this is the opportunity. I need to take this opportunity God has given me. Here's the last one. It's more of a prayer. In fact, it might be, for me, it has become the thing I start my day off with the thing I often quote to myself before I ever meet with someone, go into a meeting, have lunch with someone. Psalm nineteen fourteen, Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God, let what I say 
and what I think be pleasing to you. Would you bow your heads? Like the Apostle Paul, none of us have arrived. We are in a constant need of growing in our sanctification. And part of it is our self-control. There are so many other places and things we could talk about. This morning, I hope that you'd think about self-control in your mind. Self-control with your mouth. And the truth is, there is no self-control without the Spirit of God living within you. Only when you're born again, only when Christ has become the Lord of your life, does the Spirit of God live within you and give you fruit the fruit of not just gentleness and kindness and patience, but of self-control. I would say this morning, if you have found that there's just no self-control in your life, and maybe you've tried this and that and this step and that, and there is none, maybe the first in the first place always to look at, does Christ live within me? Does His Spirit live within me? Do I have a desire? Maybe you realize this morning you're in bondage. You can't break free. Maybe it's time for you to bow your knee to Christ. Repent. Act on His calling on your life today. Asking to be the Lord boss of your life. It might be that you do. You are, but you've grieved and quenched the Holy Spirit so that you don't sense Him anymore. You need to repent and ask forgiveness and ask the Spirit of God once again to help you with self-control. Father, more than anyone in this room this morning, I'd ask once again, help me. As I'm growing in your image, the things I know that are encumbrances, the besetting sins, may I take serious, ruthlessly repent, turn from. I pray for my brothers and sisters. We live in a world that has no self-control. Self-control to the world looks legalistic, militant, unreasonable. We know there's freedom when we allow you to control our lives. God, I pray that you help us. Our witness might be pure. Our lives might be pure. Be able to live such a life that people would look and realize it's different. Help us, I pray today, to supplement our faith with self-control. I ask this in your name.